Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Sound Heart Radio. And we want to thank God for this opportunity to fellowship with his people. And uh, let me emphasize the fact that uh, we are fellowshipping with the saints of God all over the world. And so we appreciate that God is using this ministry to bless so many and I'm going to ask you tonight to pray for this ministry, pray for my family, and also to pray for one another. And uh, we live in a time uh, that is very challenging for for many, many people, and uh, we need the Lord. Amen. We need his presence in our lives. And so... uh, the title of our study tonight is, uh, quote, The Opening of the First Seal by Jesus, Stars to Tribulation, unquote. And so before we do that, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin our study for this evening. Father, we want to pray <clears throat> for your people who are part of this ministry, Lord. We pray for, for them. We don't know what's going on in their lives and in their hearts, but we do ask that your spirit, Lord, would give them reassurance, will give them hope, uh, will give them joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so we all look to Jesus. We all look to you, Father, in these harrowing times. And we pray for reassurance. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the confidence of great faith toward you so that we might do those things that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, before we begin uh, our study in Revelation, I want to read to you from John uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 1. Well, I'm going to read probably five verses. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1, quote, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And since I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. That is, I am the road, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but through me. Unquote. So I'm going to stop there, and um, I want you to carefully note verse 1. 
where Jesus, now Jesus is in the upper room, and this is uh, the night in which he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He is spending this time with his own. And so he says to his disciples, his own, uh, those with whom he has, has an, an intimate relationship, an, unbra- an unbreakable relationship. Uh, let not your heart be troubled or agitated. And uh, so that is very important for us as believers to receive by faith. Let not your heart be troubled or agitated. Uh, God is not the author of confusion. Now, many believers may not know what to believe from the manipulated information that they are hearing today about what is going on. There are people who want to shock you. There are people who want to surprise you. There are people who want to make you uh, so confused that you don't know which way to turn. Well, listen to the words of the scripture. Jesus said, I am the way. People want to pollute your life with unbelief. They want uh, you to become a, to be, they want to pull you down into their twisted thinking. They want to pollute your heart with lies, with lies and half-truth. They're not, they don't have your best interest at heart. They cannot. They are sinners uh, who are walking about in darkness. And so they, they want to create a scandal on, a, a trap for you so that you will take your eyes off the Savior. And when you take your eyes off the Savior and put your eyes on men, then they have won. Then they can go off and they can concentrate on how to make the next thing uh, fall or fail or they find some way to create doubt in the uh, in the heart of the saint uh, with regard to the veracity of God. And notice, this is what the enemy did in Genesis chapter 3. The veracity of God was called into question. You shall not surely die. When God gave a specific command to the Adam and his wife, and when we go to uh, Second Thessalonians chapter two, I want to read. I want to read to you from there now. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'm going to begin with verse one because. Uh, there are people who take passages uh, and they say that they are teaching uh, eschatology, which is the doctrine of last things, and they say that, well, I'm teaching about the, the tribulation period. And 
they began to they will read some verses, but then these verses are not they're taken out of context. And so people are bewildered as to the plan of God, as to they are bewildered as to the program of God. Uh, is this happening, or did this happen, or did I miss uh, the rapture? And why? And I'm saying that because this is what Paul addresses in Second Thessalonians chapter two, uh, beginning at verse one. He wrote, "Quote: Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him." Listen carefully. And by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, agitated, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now, uh, the day of Christ uh, refers to, this is an eschatological event, the day of Christ. Now, Paul talks about the day of Christ in 1 Corinthians and he says within the context that we we are presently um, we are in a man's day we're in the day of man and so he makes a distinction uh, so that we we would understand that the day of Christ is not here yet. First Corinthians four verse one, Paul wrote so. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If you're not faithful, then you can't, you can't serve God. And I know people try to say they serve God and live in a very duplicitous manner. But you're only fooling yourself because God knows. God knows what a fraud is. God knows what a hypocrite is. God can be fooled. Uh, it is only self-deception. Verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. I wish more saints would have that attitude. But see, Paul has the attitude of a mature believer. Once again, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that justifies, that judges me is the Lord. He that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. So I want you to get the context 
uh, in which Paul talks about who we are with regard to the Lord and uh, our relationship uh, to God. So Paul, Paul concentrates on Jesus and developing a deeper relationship with him. Now back to 2 Thessalonians 2. So verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, uh, apostasia. Uh, so notice that when we get to the book of Revelation, there are the seven letters to the churches of Asia Minor. And Jesus has a different message for each of those churches. Remember, John saw him and his eyes were the flame of fire. And Jesus was dressed in his high priestly clothing. So he is the high priest of the church. He is the chief shepherd of the church. The church is judged by the Lord Jesus Christ first. Peter wrote that judgment will begin at the house of God. First, judgment will begin at the house of God. Now, if you're listening to someone who says that he or she is teaching uh, about the tribulation without uh, laying out a biblical chronology of events, then you need to be very, very careful because this is what God said. Notice, the revelation is named the revelation because it means the unveiling. It doesn't mean the covering up or the hiding of God's plan. The revelation means to reveal. And if a believer is spirit-filled, then he or she has the requisite key to understanding the doctrine that is revealed in the revelation. The revelation is the capstone of the word of God. It is in chapter 6 of the revelation that the real chronology of the book starts. But before the tribulation begins, there is worship in heaven. There is worship of the Lamb of God who is in the center of the throne. He is the center. So there is homage, there is obeisance, there is the lifting up of praise, there is the affirmation of who the Lamb is throughout the host of heaven, including uh, the 24 elders who are wearing crowns and who are arrayed uh, in white garb that is symbolic, their stoles in the Greek, the word is stoles, are symbolic of the righteousness of Christ. They have been cleansed with, by the blood of the Lamb. They have been saved. They are the redeemed. 
they are in heaven. And so this is the opening scene. There is worship of the Lamb, the one, the only one who is worthy to come forth and to uh, to receive of uh, the scroll or this uh, book that is that is completely sealed. And this is an amazing scene. Now, uh, back to this passage. So. Paul wrote, let no man deceive you by any means. What is the first thing that's going to come? There's going to be apostasia. There's going to be a stepping away from the person of Christ. Now, uh, let me say that this doesn't mean that people will walk away from the visible church. It means that within their heart, they will step away from the uh, from Jesus, they will not believe him. They will not serve him. They will not witness for the Lord. And so uh, this is and so, and then so Paul will write uh, that in the last days, uh, difficult times will come. In First Timothy four, verse one, we read, "Quote." Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Then he goes on. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Please note verse 2. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. I want to stop there. Then, when we go uh, to Second Timothy, he says in, in Second Timothy three verse one, quote. Know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Uh, I like the translation that reads hard time, uh, because that, that is closer to the original. Hard times shall come. Note note the, the future uh, tense. Hard times shall come. And uh, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Notice that in this, how this list began. For men shall be lovers, not of God, of their own selves. So they will be uh, these people who are, uh, Paul is writing about people who are in the visible church. He is not talking about uh, people at large, but those who say they know Christ, through their works and their lives, they show that they don't know him. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Uh, what does Jesus see as the great high priest, as the chief shepherd uh, of the church, uh, whose eyes are as a flame of fire? <clears throat> does he not see these things? 
And Paul will say that uh, God's going to judge the secrets of men's heart. Uh, God does not let anyone get away with sin. And for those who say they love God, to want to wantonly practice sin, to uh, cannot go together. If you love God, then you're going to follow God. Then you're going to pick up your cross. And you're going to assume the life of a condemned one, of a condemned criminal, and you're going to bear the cross. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. These are not individuals who bear the cross of Christ. And then he goes on. Uh, and he talks about, uh, you know, the, the the character or those who are, who are going to characterize uh, the final days of the church and the last days. Peerless, peerless times shall come. Now, I'm going to read from Second Timothy chapter two, verse uh, uh, verse nineteen. Quote: Nevertheless. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So, uh, in the book of in the book of Ezekiel, there were uh, witnesses who were sealed. And God's own, God's believers are or have been sealed by the Spirit. So you and I have an obligation uh, to live as those who have this wonderful seal. That is, uh, we know that we belong to God. And so we're to live our lives as such that we really belong to him. So I just want to lay a, a, a groundwork or a foundation uh, as we go into the revelation because I just want there to be uh, a real understanding of what, is, of what is going on here. So when you get a moment, please read uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, that will give you a lot of understanding about who you are as a believer in Christ. Please read uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Now, um, so when we go to Revelation, and notice chapter 4, we have the, we have the throne in heaven, chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, John said, I looked, John wrote, I looked, and behold, a door was opened. And a door was opened in heaven. So we are going to now, we've left left off with the church, and the scene has changed. Uh, there, this is a scene in the scene is in heaven, and uh, the judge of all the earth 
is on the bench. This is in the throne room of heaven. And what John sees is a throne of judgment. Uh, We have uh, the presence of God uh, spoken about in a very powerful way in chapter 4 of Revelation. Uh, Verse 1 of someone, a voice says to John, uh, come up hither. He calls it the first voice. And uh, the voice says, I, says to John, I will show these things which must be hereafter. Now, uh, this word in, in, cha- in chapter 4, verse 1, must, must be hereafter, uh, the Greek word is day, D-E-I, and it means that which is necessary in the nature of the case. I will show the things which must be hereafter. So, and John writes, immediately I was in the spirit. And Ezekiel speaks of being in the spirit uh, as well. And so, God has suspended John's ordinary and commonplace reality. That has been suspended. The same with Ezekiel. When God called, uh, the, uh, called the prophet Ezekiel, when God called the apostle John, God suspended their ordinary reality. When God called Moses, God over time suspended his ordinary reality. The prophets would write that the word of the Lord or the, or the Debar Yahweh and the verb mean that here that the prophet was placed into a new, uh, a, a novel and a completely new situation. Such is the power of, of the spirit and when he is operating in the lives of holy, of holy men. So, uh, in verse 2, quote, And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set thereon. So, he, he sees God the Father on this throne, and the throne uh, has a, a rainbow uh, about it. And it was, it was the color of green, and the green is the symbolism or a symbol of God's covenant with Noah, that he would no longer destroy the world uh, with devastating floodwaters. So God remembers uh, his agreement with Noah. Nevertheless, the throne that John sees is not a throne of grace. It is a throne of judgment. And the judgment that God is going to unleash on the world through the Lamb begins with worship. So uh, judgment is God's strange work. So we must remember that. But judgment begins with worship. So in uh, Revelation 4.10, quote, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their 
crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So, the affirmation of the uncreated, the creator, is given by, uh, by the elders. They know who God is. And so uh, this thing is cut off from the pollutions of the cosmic system. And only the redeemed are enjoying uh, this worship. Paul wrote in first, uh, to the saints, don't you know we will judge men? And don't you know we will judge angels? So the, what God wants to do is to bring believers into spiritual maturity because this is the appropriate destiny of the saints, to be spiritually mature before God. And to be individuals who operate uh, through the power of the Spirit in their lives through the resurrection power of Christ. <clears throat> Listen, uh, we have an incredible destiny uh, before God, and so we are to live as though we have this extraordinary destiny uh, to come. So, let's see. Uh, here, I'm going to take a look. I want to go back to... Uh, 1 Corinthians, because there's something I, I really want you to see there. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul wrote, quote, for the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. So what we're going to see unleash is, is the power of, the God, uh, of, of God through, uh, through judgment. And Jesus is the one uh, that is going to be doing this. So we shall judge men. We shall judge angels. First Corinthians six uh, two. First Corinthians six two. Quote: Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? The world shall be judged by you. Are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matter? 1 Corinthians 6.3, quote, Know you not that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? Now, this church had a lot of spiritual problems. And it was, in fact, a carnal church. But I want you to see what Paul wrote about the destiny of believers. We shall judge men, verse 2, we shall judge the world. We shall judge the cosmos, literally. Uh, we shall judge uh, the cosmos in the Greek. Know you not that we shall judge angels, the fallen angels. So there in, in Revelation 5, there is worship. Now, in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 1, quote, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book 
written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. The language sealed with seven seals indicates uh, complete the completeness the completeness of the sealing. Now, what is this about, and why would uh, the tribulation begin with the opening of this completely sealed document? What is so pertinent, and what is so germane to the uh, tribulation that it begins in this way? Well, this goes back to Genesis 3, and you need to also read uh, Romans. The first Adam lost possession of, of the earth, of creation, through his disobedience. Through one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. And death by sin, through one man's disobedience. Through one man's disobedience. The Satan gains power because of what the Adam lost. So the second Adam is Jesus. It is through his crucifixion death, burial, and resurrection that the earth can be redeemed and the Lord, and so what we have here in Revelation is the title deed to the earth that was lost by the first Adam. This is God's plan at this time to get back that which was lost. So this is uh, so this is a very powerful scene. And John wrote in verse four that no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. So all the seals uh, only the Lamb can do this. And John wept. And then he was told to weep not in verse 5 because the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus, Isaiah 31.4 and Hosea, uh, please read uh, Hosea 11.10. The root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So now Roman law required a will to be sealed seven times, uh, as in the wills that were left by Augustus and Vespasian uh, for their successors. So that's just a, a, a side note I want you to understand. So in verse six, and in the midst of the throne, and of the four, uh, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood the Lamb as it had been slain. So, in other words, the evidence of sacrifice was present in the body of the lamb. There stood the lamb, not a lamb. There stood the lamb 
as it had been slain. He is called in Matthew 28, Jesus crucified, or Jesus the crucified, T-O-N in the Greek, ton, Jesus the crucified. For all eternity, that is his title, Jesus the crucified, perfect tense. So uh, the seal represents the comprehensive program of God culminating in the second coming of Christ. Now, I want you to see something. Uh, um, So I'm in chapter 6 now, chapter 6, verse 1, quote, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder as one of the four beasts saying, come and see. So, verse 2, and I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was, notice the language, had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. Well, who is this? So, uh, in Genesis, we have Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter of men before God. So, and uh, we have a very interesting person, a person that's revealed here. And so what does he do? He creates war, havoc. He is a relentless foe. Here we have the seventh seal. We have the Antichrist. Who unleashes the Antichrist upon uh, upon history? Who allows him? Who opens the door for the Antichrist? Who opened the first seal? Jesus. Jesus Christ is directing the flows of human history. The Antichrist is allowed to come on the scene. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, Jesus said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He is the one who allows the Antichrist to come upon the scene. Remember, Jesus said in John's Gospel, If another comes in his name, him you will receive. If another comes in his name, him you will receive. Well, he already knew how history would end when he he uttered that statement. He know he knew who would receive him and who would uh, who would not receive him. So we have to be very very careful about our study of the scriptures so that 
we will know that our lives line up with the word of God. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And so Jesus was referring to what? The coming of the Antichrist. He allows him on the scene. I want to keep saying this because I want you to understand that there is no power outside of uh, what God what God does. <clears throat> and in several verses in the, in the book of Revelation, we will read the word, and it was allowed, and it was allowed. So, and in verse 3, and when he had opened the second seal, that is Jesus, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Jesus says to his saints, said to his saints, in, you, in me you have peace. In me you have peace. But here, <coughs> the second seal opens and peace is taken from the earth. Why? That they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword. Notice, when the first seal is opened, the first rider had what? Had a bow. He went forth conquering to conquer. The second seal is open, and this rider has what? He has a sword. And the third uh, rider is released on this black horse. There is global economic distress. There is global economic turmoil. So with the result that in the fourth uh, seal, we have the pale rider, <coughs> and there is terrible carnage and distress. Who opens the seals? Who unleashes judgment upon the earth? There is one judge who stands at the door. It is my prayer that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. First advent, he came as the Lamb of God. In his second advent, he is coming back as the Lion of Judah. It is my prayer that you come before the throne of grace and you confess in your heart and believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you are saved. You believe. You must believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scripture for your sins. This is going to be a horrific sin, a, a horrific situation. Isaiah will write, or Isaiah wrote, that the earth is going to move to and fro like a drunken man under the weight of the judgments that are to come. Now think about that. Think about the cosmological implications of the judgment. And then you have these people who say that they are they, they believe in post-tribulation, rapturism, and that God is going to allow his beloved church, his bride, to go through the tribulation? And Christ has already suffered judgment on behalf of the bride of Christ? Does that make sense? 
God is not going to allow his bride, his church, to go through judgment. This kind of cataclysmic horrific judgment. Good afternoon or good evening. I should say God bless you all. God willing, I'll speak with you on Sunday. Good night.